As we continue in worship this morning, would you join me for the reading of God's Word? The scripture reading for this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll be reading from the NIV. Please read aloud along with me. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Tammy, for reading the scripture this week. Uh, when reading and studying the Bible, it's so good to read passages in a few different translations. And since this month, we're reading 1 Corinthians 13 as a whole chapter each week. Um, I'm glad that we could mix up the translation this week. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Danny Russell, and I serve as the Director of Ministries and Operations here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. I'm so glad to be able to preach God's Word again this week because I think the verse that we are covering is timely. I know that for many of you, 2020 has been a tough year, maybe the toughest year of your life or at least up there. I don't need to list the specific reasons why because we're, we're all too familiar with them. Life for many in the church outside of EBF hasn't been much different either. I was talking with a, a friend recently, this is someone who doesn't go to EBF, and he was just sharing how hard it has been for, how hard it has been for him to stay at his church recently. He, he's fighting for it, he's really fighting for it, and he wants so, but he wants so badly to just run away. 
He's struggling with relationships with specific people in the church, wrestling with the fact that many of his expectations for the church have not been met, and he's just downright running out of steam. I would venture to guess that some of you feel similarly. You're exhausted, worn down, feeling a little beat up, and maybe you've begun thinking about if you want to stay at EBF, or maybe you're not quite that far, but you've at least daydreamed a little bit about what it would be like to start fresh somewhere new. Or maybe you don't want to leave, you just feel like giving up, or lashing out, or, or any other sort of reaction. Our church has been going through some really tough times. Between saying goodbye to both of our pastors, trying to work through tension towards unity in the church, and losing some of our longest tenured and beloved members, we've had a difficult last three years. And the reality is that the opportunities for tension won't go away. As debates about the best way to do school or church this fall continue, as riots and protests linger in our city and in our country over the presence of racial injustice, and as we face one of the most divisive political elections in recent memory, all of these will continue to bring potential for disunity and disagreement. This season has not been easy, and we're not sure it will get any easier anytime soon. It's okay to admit that. But if you're feeling this way, I hope you will at least stick through this sermon, because I think our text for today has a lot to say for how we can make it through this difficult time both as a church family and as individuals, there is hope, I promise. If you haven't been able to join us this month, we are going through a series through 1 Corinthians 13 called Love, What It Is, How It Shapes Us in the Heart of Christ. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to all of the sermons, we, we actually recently uh, just restarted updating the EBF podcasts, and so you can search for those starting from the beginning of August. But last week, we continued looking through the way love is described in verses 4 through 7, looking at the content of love. But where verses 4 through 6 describe what love is and what it isn't, verse 7, which is our verse for today, talks about what love does, what love does, what love achieves, what love accomplishes. And I think this verse in particular has a word of encouragement and hope to those who feel like giving up. A word for the weary, the discouraged, and the downtrodden. I don't have a, a fancy outline today to share with you, uh, but rather I just want to work straight through the text, showing how love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. Let me say that again. Love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. Would you join me in, in prayer before we open God's word?
Father, thank you for your word and the chance to open it together each week. I pray that your spirit would speak to us through your word. Help us to understand and apply the sort of love that you call us all to and help us to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So now let's, uh, let's read verse 7 together one more time, but this time we're going to go back to the ESV, which is what I'm going to preach from. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now before we jump into the main chunk of the outline, I want to start with kind of an overarching note regarding the phrase all things. Because this is an, a, point, a point that's going to apply to really the whole sermon, every single point. This is a phrase that we must hold in an honest tension. You know, on the one hand, this verse comes right after verse 6, which we covered last week and pointed out that love does have some boundaries. Love can't rejoice with wrongdoing. It's opposed to the very nature of what love is. And this verse, verse 7, it has at times been wrongly used to justify staying in toxic relationships, relationships that lead to physical, emotional, and spiritual harm and danger. That is not what this verse is saying. John Calvin, he comments that the phrase all things means, quote, the things that ought to be endured, essentially meaning that we aren't to respond to sin and evil in a way that makes it seem okay. But we must hold it in tension because it also says all things pretty plainly. And not only does it say all things, it says it four times. The repetition reminding us of the importance. For the majority of us, we need to hear all things and assume it means all things, no exceptions. We need the loving nudge of God's word to get us to stop hiding from that difficult friendship, to, to stop running away from the exhausting in-law, and to stop making excuses for avoiding the scary church member. But there is a minority of us, or maybe nobody directly listening to this, but somebody whose life you speak into, where they need to hear the nuance that this verse doesn't justify wrongdoing and evil, and it's okay to say goodbye to any sort of relationship that is causing harm or danger. So while I'm going to preach this plainly as all things, because I think that's what most of us need to hear, I think this underlying note is an important caveat to start with. We must hold this verse in that tension. Now with that being said, let's turn to our first point. Love bears all things. Love bears all things. When many of you hear this, you might think of a verse like Galatians 6.2, which commands us to bear one another's burdens. But I want to point out one important difference between 1 Corinthians 13 and Galatians 6 that I think will really highlight the meaning of the word. It, so in Galatians, the word used uh, and translated to bear it means to carry. So with this phrase, you might, you might picture 
someone carrying another person's backpack, taking the weight off of their shoulders and carrying it, carrying it for them, bearing that load. In 1 Corinthians 13, however, the word more literally means to cover, so as to conceal and protect. So instead of the backpack, you might picture a roof over a home that bears a rainstorm, protecting the inside from the effects of rain so that you couldn't even tell it rained to begin with. So then, given the context of 1 Corinthians Corinthians 13, to bear means to bear with the sins of others as if they had never been there. To bear with the sins of others as if they had never been there. When explaining the meaning of bear in 1 Corinthians 13, Charles Spurgeon recalls the aftermath of Genesis 9. At this point, Noah's sons discover him in a naked, drunken stupor, and they have two very different reactions to this. Spurgeon says, Noah's younger son discovered and declared the shame of his father, but his other sons took a garment and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. After this fashion, does love deal with the sins of her brethren? She painfully fears that there may be something wrong, but she is loath to be convinced of it. She ignores it as long as she can and wishes that she could deny it altogether. Love covers, that is, it never proclaims the errors of good men. One of Noah's sons saw his father's sin and felt the need to spread the word. His other sons refused to even look at his sin, but rather bear with their father's foolishness and protect him from the shame of his folly. Love bears all things. If you want another example of what this looks like, you must look no farther than the heart of Christ for his 12 disciples, his bumbling overconfident followers, how they shooed away people who wanted to be near Christ, how they questioned Jesus' decisions, how they rebuked him to his face, and yet he faithfully bore with them, overlooking their many sins and failings. And if that is not enough to think about the disciples, just think about how he bears with you. Despite your own sin, despite dragging your feet to follow his word, despite your mistakes, he has clothed you with garments of salvation and clothed you with robes of righteousness, as Isaiah 61 says, so that in Christ he no longer sees your sin. How are you bearing with others right now? As last week we talked about not being resentful or irritable. When someone sins against you, are you quick to forgive or, or do you hold on to the hurt? Do you, do you feel like you're on the same team as other Christians, standing arm in arm, 
bearing all things together? Or do you find yourself feeling like you're fighting against other believers? Love bears all things. Now let's move on to the next point. Love believes all things. Love believes all things. Love believes the best in others. Love chooses trust over suspicion. And even in the face of reasons for doubt and wrongdoing, love hangs on to the best possible scenario. I love the way that Spurgeon explains this verse. He says, True love believes good of others as long as, it, as ever it can. And when it is forced to fear that wrong has been done, love will not readily yield to evidence. But she gives the accused brother the benefit of many a doubt. In other words, love fights to have the best opinion as possible of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Before jumping to a conclusion, love patiently asks questions. Before reading into a text message, love assumes the best possible interpretation. Before impugning someone's motives, love trusts that the person meant well. Before condemning the sin of another, love empathizes with the weight of temptation that the other must have been under. Love believes all things. This is one that I tend to struggle with. I am someone who very easily tends towards a glass half-empty approach towards life. I'm always preparing for worst-case scenarios and critically thinking about anything that I can wrap my mind around. And I think that this is also an issue with the church at large, especially within the last few years. We live during a time when media outlets and social media love the latest gossip, the the latest slip-up or controversy. And we Christians eat it up. We jump on the bandwagon of suspicion and mistrust without a second thought. And yet, many of us are slow to spread good news, to publicly praise a church or a Christian leader, or to hype up a brother or sister's virtues. We're we're quick to search out the faults that we see in the church and slow to recognize the things for which we're thankful. We have no problem believing a negative rumor. And if you ever happen to hear positive rumor, let me know so that I know that they exist. Brothers and sisters, love believes all things. Love believes the very best in others. Once again, if if we want to know what this looks like, we must look at the heart of Christ. When John the Baptist asked if Jesus was the Messiah or not, Jesus didn't scoff at John's inability to recognize it. When the woman with a discharge reached out to touch Jesus' garment, he didn't assume she was trying to hurt him, but rather looking for healing. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water at the well, 
Jesus didn't see her as just another adulterer, but believed that she was someone looking to drink from the eternal well. Are you treating others the same? Believing the best in others, assuming good in their motives, reading positive intentions into their words. Love believes all things. Let's look back at the text now for our third point. Love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. So hoping all, hoping all things is similar to believing all things. But where believing all things speaks to things happening in the here and now, hoping all things is a longing for good things to come. A longing for good things to come. It doesn't despair. It doesn't consider others lost causes. It doesn't wish for calamity to fall upon someone's life. It invests in others because of the hope that change, growth, and maturity are all still possible. It looks not only at the current reality, but also at the future potential. It longs for and works to bring about good things in the life of others, even when hope seems dim. As humans, we are so easily consumed with our current surroundings and circumstances that at times hope feels like an impossibility. When someone hurts us, sins against us, or disagrees with us even, we, we write them off and think we know with certainty where the story is going to end. But I think a, a little self-reflection will remind us all of the importance of hoping in one another. I wonder how many of you in your own lives, as, as you think back, have felt the loving hand of someone who hoped in you. Someone who saw past the facade of a bratty child, of an angsty teenager, of a flaky college student, or a disgruntled adult, and instead saw you for what you could be one day in Christ. Maybe this is how you were saved. Maybe this was a season of great growth in your life. Or, or maybe this was a time of victory after a long fight with sin. When we cultivate a heart of love, a natural side effect will be a heart that hopes for good in the lives of others. Let me say that again. When we cultivate a heart of love, a natural side effect will be a heart that hopes for good in the lives of others. Let us see this in action again in the heart of Christ, who even as he hung on the cross, still prayed for the forgiveness of his murderers, who entrusted to Peter the job of tending his sheep, even after Peter's threefold denial of him, who right now is serving as your advocate, pleading your case before the Father and siding with you for your salvation despite your rebellion. Do you hope 
for good in the lives of others? Are you fixated on current circumstances or do you believe that people can grow? Do you wish for others to experience blessing in their life? Do you long to see others fulfill their potential? Love hopes all things. Now let's move on to our last point. Love endures all things. Love endures all things. And this one might be the most difficult one yet. After we've bared with others through their sin, after we've believed the best in them, after we've hoped for good, love does not stop there. But it keeps bearing, it keeps believing, and it keeps hoping. Love is not a singular occasion, but something that persists time after time, on and on and on. Love endures all things. It perseveres when sinned against. It lasts through conflict. It continues on when reviled. And I know that for many of you who are feeling exhausted and discouraged right now, this prospect may feel overwhelming. You, you already feel a bit like a jack-in-the-box with each trial, another spin of the handle. And while all is well and fine for a time, eventually Jack is going to pop out of the box. There, there comes a point in time where you simply can't take it any longer. But as we grow in love for others, what we will see is a growing heart of endurance. With love, we can endure suffering, sin, and hardship. Again, let us look to the heart of Christ, whose love for us endures steadfastly through our many, many sins and wanderings, and whose love is most perfectly depicted on the cross, which Christ endured on our behalf, as it says in Hebrews 12 taking upon himself the shame of the world so that anyone could repent and put their faith in him, no matter how much they've sinned. Love endures all things. <laughs> and now that we've worked our way through the entire verse, we've, we've seen that love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. And many of us are asking, what in the world is that supposed to look like? <laughs> but instead of asking how we can bear, believe, hope, and endure, I instead want us to focus on an underlying question. How can we cultivate a heart of love? How can we cultivate a heart of love? These four actions that we've talked about today are the natural outflowing of love, the organic result of a heart that loves others. And so if we want to truly grow in these areas, we must seek first to grow for our love of God and others. So I want to offer three application points really quickly. 
But before I go into detail, I also first want to highlight a letter that one of our elders, Brady Richards, posted on Realm this week for those of us in the congregation who are struggling right now. If you haven't had a chance to read it, again, that's on Realm. I really hope that you'll make the time to do that. Um, But in my application this week, I actually want to borrow from some of the things that he suggested and just elaborate on them a little bit in the context of the verse that we've talked about today. So let's, let's look at our application points, three points of application for cultivating a heart of love. The first is counseling. For some of you, you may need or want help processing through life's difficulties and the complicated nature of relationships in a fallen world. A Christian counselor who is able to help you think through things with a biblical worldview is a huge blessing. As you process things, you're able to see the situation more clearly. Wounds from your past that keep reappearing in your life to begin to experience healing. And before you respond to someone out of anger and distrust, a counselor gives you an ear to listen and and to help you see where maybe you're missing things. I know that I have personally benefited from seeing a counselor in the past. The two years that I went to a counselor were some of the most fruitful in terms of um, developing emotional awareness and maturity. So the first application point is counseling. The second is getting to know one another. Who is one person that you don't know well, but you've been wanting to get to know for a while? Or who's one person that you haven't checked in with in a while? Reach out to that person today. As we get to know each other, we are better able to believe the best in one another. As we know a person struggles and and we see them fight sin in their lives, we're better able to hope for their good. As we allow others to bear with us in our sinfulness, it becomes easier to bear with others in theirs. The second is getting to know one another. And then the third application point for cultivating a heart of love is prayer. As a church, we're gathering virtually twice a week to pray, but this application point can be done personally. It can be done in your ethos community, and you can even start your own prayer meeting. In fact, I encourage it. Pray for those you love dearly and pray for your enemies. Pray for your circumstances and pray for your heart in the midst of your circumstances. Give thanks to God and confess your sin. As we pray with one another and for one another, we will see ourselves begin to hope for good things. We start to grow an expectancy for our prayers to be answered. And we even begin to see how the Lord works and answers our prayers. And not only that, but we, can, we also can go to him in prayer to find the strength that we need to endure. So counseling, getting to know one another, and prayer as three application points for cultivating a heart of love. And yet, 
though there are some practical things that we can do, and obviously I'm encouraging you to do those practical things, I also want to remind you of the true source of this love. This love cannot be produced in our own strength and by our own effort. We, we might try and maybe sometimes we can, we can muster up uh, the love in our hearts, but the true strength that we need to do all of the things that verse 7 says will only come for, from our helper, the Holy Spirit. One of the fruits that the Spirit produces in our lives is love. When we abide in Christ and when we keep in step with the Spirit, He will produce this fruit in our life. And this is good news because I know that I am way too fickle to truly love others, at least all the time. But the good news in in here is not only that the source of our love is covered, that the source of our love is from the Spirit, but it is that the source of the love guarantees the, the achievement of its purposes. Let me say that again. The source of the love guarantees the achievement of its purposes. So what do I mean by that? Since this love comes from the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, we know that it will produce its intended effect. It is guaranteed to succeed. Notice again how verse 7 reads, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love actually does these things. Love achieves its purposes. And as a church and as individuals who find themselves weary and exhausted and wondering how much longer we can go on like this, we should rejoice at this news. This means that there is hope for tough relationships. There is hope for struggles with sin. And there is hope for healing and growth to happen in our church. As you grow in the faith and the Spirit produces the fruit of love in your life, you will begin to bear with others better. You will believe the best in others more often. You will hope for good in others' lives. And you will be able to endure for the long run. Your love won't be perfect, but it will be present and growing. And that's why I have an optimistic outlook on the future of our church. Because I believe that the Spirit of God is alive and active in His people. And I believe that He is going to increasingly produce the fruit of love in our lives. And because a love that is backed by the strength of the Holy Spirit is a love that can't fail. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our love is not dependent on our own ability. We pray that your Spirit would produce the fruit of love in our hearts so that we could bear, believe, hope, and endure
all things. And when we fail, remind us of the heart of Christ and his perfect love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.